0: Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, March 30th, 2022. Lots of news this week. As always, the news portion of this week's Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Did we watch the Sunday Night Fights, also known as the Academy Awards? No. Spider-Man No Way Home got skunked at the 94th Academy Awards. Are we, Do we not- surprised by that? Sort of. I thought at least they would get the Visual Effects Award, which which Dune took home. Right. I have to say, I'm a little scared of Zack Snyder's fandom. (laughs) Sure. Okay. Yeah. Did you see that they introduced as, as, you know, one of the innovations of this year's Academy Awards, in addition to taking away those eight categories, was to add a cheer-worthy moment that people at home Would vote upon and evidently Zack Snyder's folks came in and really voted heavily for the speed force scene in Justice League. Likewise, I want to say they also got one of the scenes from his Army of the Dead film, which he made for Netflix, didn't
1: he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So now the real question is, what kind of uh, Academy Award did they take home for this wonderful achievement of theirs? They, they did get a trophy, right? I, it, it, it was cheerworthy. I, cheerworthy. You know, I just, cheerworthy. Worthy yes. of sound. Oh, okay. Good. There we go. So Okay, so they didn't have enough room for real awards, so they made mm. up fake awards to plug in their place to find out what rabid fan base could tweet the most. Sounds legit. Glad they went in that direction, he said, with all of the sarcasm dripping over it like maple syrup on a tall stack of pancakes.
0: Uh, Well, okay. So as we wave fondly to the 2022 Oscars, the very next day, the Walt Disney Company revealed that this summer it would be launching its subscription streaming service in 42 new countries and 11 additional territories across Europe, Africa, and West Asia. And they really went all in as part of this hyping the fact that, you know, how much Marvel product would be arriving on Disney Plus this year. This is going to include this year because evidently they're working off of a 45 day long window. So we'll get the theatrical releases Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. We'll get Thor, Love, and Thunder. Likewise, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever that will arrive just before Christmas. We'll also get our three limited series, Moon Knight, Ms. Marvel, and She-Hulk, along with two animated series, Marvel What If and I Am Groot, in addition two holiday specials, Werewolf by Night and the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, which you have some news about, right, Aaron? I do, but before I jump to that news, I do want to throw into the pot,
1: well, Marvel is coming up with awesome shows to, uh, to, to give us on a regular basis. I would like to uh, put my hat in the ring for, do you remember um, back in ye olden day of Hugh Hefner and his, his penthouse uh, show, the bunnies yes. and cocktails and jazz music and whatnot? There I, we go. I would love to see Howard the Duck do a late night swingers type TV show that would just be how to mix a good cocktail, how to, how to throw the perfect party, All hosted by Howard the Duck, wearing like a a Hugh Hefner-style robe. Anyway, I'm sorry. I've gotten way off track. But doesn't that sound appealing, Jim, for just, you know...
0: At the very least, that would be fun to see show up on Adult Swim. And remember, those of you in the Frank Wells building, and you know who you are, that check goes to Aaron (laughs) Adams. Okay? That's a great idea, really.
1: All right. So we'll jump over to the James Gunn news. So he's he's, uh, filming right now in Atlanta, right? We're doing... Guardians Volume 3, we've got a, a ride, Cosmic Rewind, we've got a mm-hmm. holiday special. Um, so uh, he answers questions on Twitter all the time because it's quick and painless, and mm-hmm. uh, Marvel PR can't slap a, his phone out of his hand quick enough. So here we go. Uh, mm-hmm. Just three hours ago, Jim, he was asked, mm-hmm. uh, Didn't you start like a month ago filming? And he says, No, we've been shooting since 1978. Or it feels like it, okay, maybe since the beginning of November, hashtag Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And then the next question immediately after that, Mr. Gunn, how are the vibes on set? And Mm -hmm. James replies, honestly, they're great. I love this cast and crew, but there's also a lot of sadness and Mm -hmm. near daily tears knowing this is the last Guardians movie for most of us. Hashtag Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So, uh, I mean, he's a wonderful director in the sense of if you got a question, um, mm-hmm. he answers tons of fan questions all the time. And if, he, if you've got a legit question, uh, chances are
0: he'll take the 10 seconds to slap out a response and set your curiosity at ease. Now, I'm going to want on the other side of this to see some sort of a shooting schedule, because what's fascinating is, you know, he's talking about shooting the last Guardians film, but at the same time, we're getting shots from the ground in a suburb outside of Atlanta that is being dressed daily for the holiday special. And based on the police cruisers, well, there's one that's parked outside of a home and another one that frankly is, is on its roof in the driveway, it evidently been knocked over by somebody. But these police cars identify themselves by logos and that sort of thing is the police department for Beverly Hills. And given the affluent homes and the, frankly, the decorations that have no snow in them, supposedly this will be Christmas in Southern California. Have you heard the rumor that evidently Kevin Bacon as Kevin Bacon? Um, okay, I, I see there was rumor that he was going to be coming into the Marvel Universe, and I said the only
1: way that Kevin Bacon can be allowed into the MCU is if yep. he is Kevin Bacon,
0: because well, we've already well,
1: acknowledged his existence as Kevin Bacon through Guardians of the Galaxy fandom.
0: Well, evidently you're about to get your wish. Right. You know,
1: so, um. Now, if he gets to dance with Star-Lord, I think that's a Christmas <sighs> miracle, and that's all we need right there. For the, the, the finale, so uh, I'm queuing up Kenny Loggins and Footloose right now, if you can hear the beat in the
0: background. Well, now, I, speaking of Mr. Gunn on Twitter, supposedly earlier this week he confirmed that the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special will come in at around 40 minutes long, and that also, evidently, chronologically, it falls between Thor Love and Thunder and Volume 3, so... Interesting, okay. Speaking of Christmas, though, and if you want to spoil Love and Thunder out ahead, you want to see, for example, what Thor will be wearing as part of that Taika Waititi movie. It's been pointed out that they do a Marvel Christmas morning every year, and evidently the catalog has been published online, and coming out in July is the Thor ornament and it's Thor wearing his brand new helmet and his brand new outfit that will debut in the Taika Waititi film. So if you you can't wait, you can go over to the Hallmark store and check this out. Likewise, we were just talking about the animated series that Marvel is doing for Disney plus, and we don't officially have a delivery date yet for I Am Groot. However, Funko, as part of their Marvel Collector Core series, like evidently they send out these boxes on a bi-monthly basis, uh. they've just put word out that their I Am Groot box will be mailed in May. And what's happened in the past is usually the Funko subscription boxes that are touting the Marvel series for uh, Disney Plus invariably arrive either the month of or the just the month before the series debuts. So the smart money right now is the I Am Groot animated shorts will start airing on Disney Plus sometime in late May and early June of this year. Hmm. We did mention also uh, She Hulk as part of the limited series, and I think we mentioned on the last show that it looks like She-Hulk is coming in November December of this year and there've been some interesting stories about why that's happening. Industry insider Jeff Schneider, he writes for media outlets like Variety and Collider. What well, does he release a longer cut called the Schneider cut? <laughs> Just curious. And he has very <laughs> rapid fans. <laughs> the, 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 Just the be very careful. The version of my article with an extra 7 paragraphs. There we go. So he's recently shared that Marvel seems to be having some trouble with this limited series. There's going to be 10 episodes in total. Oh, hey, that's, wait a minute, that's newsworthy right there because we've been stuck on
1: the six episode trend for a little while now. Yep. So uh, four extra episodes,
0: that's good news. Well, but the thing of it is, is that She-Hulk's going to kind of break the mold a little bit in that this is a show where the character breaks the fourth wall quite yep. a bit, talks directly to the audience. Yep, It's kind of a tough Venn diagram in that it's a procedural, kind of in the, the style of Law and Order, but it's also a Marvel superhero story with a female lead. And evidently, they're having trouble landing the tone right, that it's kind of comical, but at the same time, they want people to be able to take the She-Hulk character seriously. It's also evidently a show where they're taking advantage of the fact that they can bring in other members of the MCU. Like a certain lawyer who happens to be blind that has the ability to catch bricks thrown through windows. Likewise, her cousin who happens to be large and green. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a good uh, one to bring likewise, in. Likewise, the Abomination just as a client.
1: Oh no! Okay, now if if he's going to be stomping around in abomination size mm-hmm. and like coming into the office to meet for a meeting, yep. And then uh, boy, I'm I'm getting Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law vibes on oh, this. Okay. If, See, the, that's it exactly. That's kind of the issue. Okay, so they're, they're dealing with that Law and Order part that they were pitching a little while ago yep. and we need to go Harvey Birdman but uh, yeah I mean if you go Harvey Birdman or Bird Girl oh
0: Bird Girl was so Bird Girl I love Bird her. Girl yeah she was so Bird. good that was a good show yep. still is according to Jeff it's it's like what he's saying is I'm hearing some not good things behind the scenes and when you ask whether you know it's Moon Knight or Ms. Marvel or Secret Evasion, they're, they're always like eh, She-Hulk is the one that could be a problem right. but at the same time Jeff is, is careful to say look it's easy to imagine that when they were working on the original Guardians of the Galaxy film it was the same thing about what's the tone:
1: Well, James also had that weird vibe where he could handle you know weird gory and humor all in mm-hmm. one scene. You know he was, yep. he was a good choice for that, that weirdness, that, that you got to have a weird touch when you got a talking raccoon and a talking tree that only says one sentence and a oh, dude who was kidnapped true. by a blue guy and all that stuff. So I mean now here's the thing about She-Hulk that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm okay yeah. with this news. Mm-hmm. The good news is they're looking at it objectively. They're not patting each other on the back going, good job, everybody. The <laughs> show's over. Let's wrap it up and go home. They're still working on it. They, they see that there are tone problems, and they've got time to fix that and reshoot and and figure out what the problem is and you know once you identify the problem only then can you find a solution you can't find a solution until you identify what the problem is first so if they mm-hmm. understand that it's in the tone and they just mm-hmm. lo- start looking at their compass for their true north once mm-hmm. they find that tone then it's just a matter of you know reshooting those scenes and I don't know how many they're going to have to reshoot but some of them are going to be more serious and and straight edge or straight arrow where you don't have to have all the quirk all the time, but you will have to retool some scenes. And and as long as they've got time and they look at it objectively, they've got time to fix it. So I think that's the good news of the story.
0: And Jeff's usually on the money with this sort of stuff. I mean, he was the guy who, who revealed very early on that Andrew Garfield had been signed for no way home. Likewise, he was the guy we shared the story just last week about, the reshoots that are going on for Thor: Love and Thunder, where same thing—they brought Christian Bale back because they feel like his character, Gore, the God Killer, they didn't get what they needed the first time around. They so need they're, more they're, they're, Gore. Well, and Watch them be all
1: PG-13, squeaky clean, no blood. You know, I'm gore. What do you do? Well, I take this bounty towel and I mop up my messes. And
0: product placement right, right there. Yeah. Well, as long as we're talking about what the pundits are saying, I guess we need to talk about Morbius, which opens this Friday. And this Daniel Espinoza film, if things had gone according to plan, it would have opened in theaters a year and two weeks ago. A, and I'm sure that March would make ten- all the reviews much better. Right? Yeah. Well, eh? We won't get the reviews probably till tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And you uh, know the the early word is that they're not great. But on the other hand, Sony is not behaving like a studio that's lost confidence in a film. Morbius is opening in 4,200 theaters in North America alone tomorrow. And current box office projections suggest that this Columbia Pictures release is going to sell somewhere between 35 and $50 million worth of tickets over its opening weekend.
1: Right so. now, Sony is playing baseball mm-hmm. in the fact that even if Morbius swings and misses Mm -hmm. they're still probably going to go at least three strikes before they give up on spunk because they've got other stuff in the works right they can't stop all of those trains right now just because one movie doesn't do as well as they hope for so that means you get at least one maybe two you know Mm -hmm. if if that second one bombs and the third one is still in production they might go hey wait a minute slow down there how close are you to the finish line on finishing that movie And if it's close to the finish line, they'll finish it and put it out. And if it's three strikes, yeah, then they're, like, pulling the plug on Spunk and going, hey, would you like to buy Spider-Man back for a cool billion maybe, guys? What do you say?
0: (laughs) Which is somewhat ironic because you remember the whole Dark Universe thing that Universal was going to do. I mean, you know, they told us about... Oh, Angelina Jolie was going to star in the Bride of Frankenstein movie. And I think Johnny Depp was going to play the Invisible Man. And they filmed that Mummy movie with Tom Cruise. And that that was the, inter- and gone, you know, the <laughs> one film made and gone, you know, just entire elaborate franchise plans gone. Whereas you're right about Spunk, you know, I mean, just this past week, Sony was out right, grabbing all sorts of domain names related to Madame Webb. Also, that Dakota Fanning movie is casting up. Sydney Sweeney, who stars in HBO's hit series Euphoria, has been hired for an unnamed role in that S.J. Carlson movie. Also, last week we talked a little bit about Craven the Hunter. Found out that's actually shooting in London. And we got our first real picture of Aaron Taylor Johnson in the title role. The look they've got him for the film is long black hair, mustache, little scruff of a beard. They had him also on set in shoes that were supposed to look like bare feet. But I was looking for that car chase scene you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And I guess I was looking on the wrong sides of the web. But that J.C. Chander film is is shooting in the U.K. right now. Speaking of London, on last week's show, I talked about the Art of WandaVision book. And found an interesting little tidbit. This has to do with the Mm Darkhold. The Darkhold supposedly plays an important part in the way Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness plays out. So much so that the WandaVision production team, which, remember, was working out of Trilet Studios in Georgia, actually contacted the Multiverse of Madness production team, which was based in London, to make sure that the the version of the Book of the Damned looked exactly like the one that would show up in Multiverse of Madness. And the prop master in London actually made a second copy of the Dark Holt. And had it shipped to Atlanta so that the one you saw in WandaVision will look like the one that shows up in Doctor Strange.
1: Well, that is, is the, like the first time that they've done that because we had the Dark Hold that looked a little bit different in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And then we also had a different Dark Hold that was in uh, Marvel's The Runaways, which was on Hulu.
0: Wow. So okay. there's,
1: there are three different looking versions of the Dark Hold. And. If you were to take Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as canon, then you've got a continuity problem there. And mm-hmm. if you were to put Runaways in the mix some way, somehow, then you've got double continuity problems with how the Darkhold looks. So, yeah, it was kind of strange that, you know, they're spending all this time to get the look so exactly right because you've got two alternate copies floating boot where they, they never seem to care what it looked like. It was just a like, a you know, the, the Book of the Dead from Evil Dead, you know, just put some skin on it and make it look creepy.
0: And given that we're we're, we're talking about this on the heels of the extra work they're putting into She-Hulk to get the tone right, I mean, this is the thing about Marvel Studios, or at least Marvel Studios today, the notion of you put in the time and effort to try to get things right. And by the way, speaking of limited series, when Aaron and I get back from this break, we are going to talk about episode one of Moon Knight. This episode of Marvelous Disney goes live on Friday, April 1st. And what's worth noting about the month of April is the production of Ironheart. Marvel Studios' next limited series of Disney Plus is supposed to get underway down in Georgia later this month. Dominic Thorne's Riri Williams character, the genius who actually invents the Ironheart suit, will supposedly be introduced in Black Panther Wakanda Forever in those scenes that Ryan Coogler shot on the M8. MIT campus in August of last year. Worth noting here that Ryan Coogler is going to be very hands-on with Ironheart. February of last year, he signed a five-year deal to create TV program exclusively for Disney, and evidently, this limited series for Marvel Studios will be the first show to come out under that exclusive deal uh, with Coogler's production company, which is supposedly called Proximity Media. And while we're talking about Ironheart, it looks like it's not going to be the only Black Panther-related limited series we see on Disney+. Uh, Jamie Mandelbaum, uh, he's an entertainment lawyer who represents Donny Guria, the talented actress who plays Okoye, the leader of the fierce female warrior clan, the Dora Milaje. She recently revealed to Hollywood Reporter that... They are working on a limited series developing something for Disney Plus that will supposedly detail the origins of the Okoye character. It's supposed to start shooting in 2023 as kind of a follow-up to Ironheart and then showing up on Disney Plus sometime in 2024. So a little bit over the horizon yet. But in the meantime, we have Moon Knight. What did we think of of episode one of this show? I really wish
1: they would have given us episode two along with it to give us a a good running start. I feel Mm -hmm. as soon as we get uh, to full speed where Moon Knight just shows up and the credits roll. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, they do know the rule, leave them wanting more. And, yes, I was Mm -hmm. wanting more because I'm a greedy little pig boy. So Mm -hmm. uh, that's why I wanted an episode two right away. I want to see where it goes from here. I enjoyed it uh, greatly. And uh, yeah, I'm totally wanting more. So I guess that's a good sign, right? Because if I were indifferent, then I wouldn't care about the next episode so much.
0: Right from the get-go, this kind of gets your attention. The whole uh, Ethan Hawke's Arthur Harrow character. I mean, we don't really get to see him, but... We do get to see his footwear. And, you know, I, I'm a, a more of a shoals foot insert kind of a guy yeah. myself. And is that part of your morning routine, to, to crush a tumbler and then pour it into your sandals?
1: Or No, although I do like the way that Thor has a drink and then goes another and smashes the glass. I did pick up that <laughs> habit, but I didn't smash it in my shoes and, and mm. then go on walkabout. Now, here's the thing, all right? I think the thing of, that I took away from that opening scene Mm-mm. is this guy ain't faking. He <laughs> believes. If you were a, a false prophet type person, you wouldn't be walking about in glass. Mm-hmm. You would say, oh, I walk about in glass every morning, and my feet are magically healed every afternoon, see? And you show them a healthy foot <laughs> with no scars, and they go, ah, oh, mm-hmm. you are a great and mysterious shaman. Um, but if you believe, which is a little mm-hmm. bit more frightening, for the characters when they really believe in what they're doing. And they're actually walking about in glass. It's just a little bit more scary because you know that whatever's ticking upstairs is set to a different beat than what your drummer's drumming to. Now, here's the thing is he's got a bunch of followers, obviously, and he did, he did a little show of power, right? You see the, the tattoo moving about the scales that yeah. weigh you. Now, mm-hmm. if you're a good person, you live. If you're a bad person, you die is what I'm taking away from this what's the benefit of this religion of these people following A, an early exit is the only thing I'm seeing so far. If you've been bad and then it's not even if you were bad in the past, it's like, Oh, well this woman says she's been good her whole life. And he says, yeah, well it maybe something that you did in the future and uh, off she goes. <laughs> so I don't want to, I don't want to play that game, whatever it is they're playing there.
0: I think we're supposed to learn this further on down the line, but sure. Arthur Harrow is supposedly in service of the Egyptian goddess, Amit, who is the devourer of souls, and that she sees everything. Sure. Not what you did in the past, not how you are today, but what you'll also do in the future. And, yeah. And that moment where he, he judged the woman and found her lacking and, and almost apologized to her. And she's like, but I've been a good person my whole life. Well, maybe it's something you're going to do in the future. And then, boom, she's down. Right. And it's just sort of like, I do not like this. Yeah. Now, to counter this with, with Oscar Isaacs, steve grant character the mild-mannered gift shop employee bully but boss co-workers who can't remember his name i think they called him scotty and then that that weird moment where he's behind the counter and the attractive female tour guide comes over and reminds him of their date coming up on on friday mm-hmm. and you know, we're going, the best steak place in london and he has no idea what's going on and his
1: answer because he we find out that he's also vegan <sighs> And later yes, on, when, yes. when things don't go as planned and the guy asks for his order, I thought it was so funny because he orders a steak and he says, what kind of steak would you like? And he says, the, you know, the, the good one. Yep. <laughs> and then, how, how would you like your steak? I, I'd, I'd like it good, please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought that was all great. Just great.
0: <laughs> in fact, it's so funny you say that because – there's an article that literally just went up in the past hour or so over in the Hollywood Reporter, and it's the director Mohammed Daib, mm. talks about how he fought to keep that scene in episode one. He said, "I remember fighting for that scene. That scene was written by me and consulting producer Sarah Goer, and I knew I was never going to know Stephen unless we had that stake scene. That is the moment where the audience is going to say it's the first episode, but I'm in love with this character. It's done." To me, it's very important to see something that establishes the disassociative identity is not just blackouts, and then his life is fine and normal. It's like, no, no, no. Disassociative identity is destroying his life, even his romantic life. He can't have a lover. He can't have a normal relationship with anyone because he's what he's been through. It's such a black comedy kind of moment. But it's the moment that the audience can connect with Steven. So, I mean, amazing. Out of the pile, you picked Well, there's the not scene, very many you know.
1: points where he's a likable character right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one where you can see the heartbreak and, and the, he's starting to figure out that everything is all wrong beyond what he imagined it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, part of that, like when we get introduced to him, the very, very opening of the show Mm-hmm. He gets out of bed. Obviously, he's got his leg chained to it. A smaller yeah. detail that you may not pick up on right away is his bed is surrounded by sand. At first, yes! I thought it was a carpet. Okay. And then on second mm-hmm. glance, uh sand mm-hmm. around it. So mm-hmm. we as the audience should pick up on the weirdness of having to have sand around your bed. And the first thing I think of is like Dracula, where he's got to sleep in his mm-hmm. own earth in order to, you know, have his restful slumber or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I get that kind of sense that that may be what's what's going on here with Moon Knight is he needs some Egyptian sand or whatever to sleep in. But mm-hmm. we obviously know that Mark Spector is about because he wakes up in the middle of a mission. And uh, there's a scene in uh, Christopher Nolan's Memento where the mm-hmm. main character wakes up running. And he goes, oh, what's going on here? I'm running. Oh, I see two guys up there. I must be chasing after them. And then they spot him and turn around and start shooting at him. He goes, oh, no. I must be running away from those guys. And he turns around and starts running the other way. And there's a bit of that that vibe where like, he wakes up and his jaw is dislocated and he's in pain oh. and he looks up and there's a castle and he sees a couple of guys and he waves at them and they pull out guns and start shooting at him. and he realizes, oh, I should be running away from these people, not waving at them and drawing attention to myself. And uh, that then starts the chase into town where he gets to meet Ethan Hawke's character for the first time and see the, the first round of judgments.
0: Yeah. And that scene where Ethan is, Ethan's character is asking Oscar's character to hand over the scarab. Mm -hmm. That was almost Steve Martin level physical comedy. Kind of the effect of here is the Stephen Grant character. It was Jim, but think a
1: little bit more recently in your history books. Uh, Mm -hmm. Where did you see that scene? Maybe December of last year what we, what came out December of last year that was super popular and it had three spider people in it.
0: Did we really?
1: Do, Remember do we? When, when Peter stole that cube thing to that when we were oh, going to send him back? Oh, oh, oh. Yes. And then yes, Doctor yes, Strange yes. gets him out on the street and knocks Peter's soul out of his body, but Spider-Man no. still <laughs> snatches away the cube to keep it out of his reach. He's <laughs> like, you shouldn't be able to do that. How are you doing that?
0: Duh, it was very
1: reminiscent but, but. of that to me
0: anyway. I loved what Oscar was doing along with the the narration. By the way, the disembodied voice you're hearing, that's of Khonshu, the Egyptian god of the moon, that's F. Murray Abraham doing the voice of, great, the idiot's back in charge. Beautiful, brilliant choice. So deep and resonant. But a lot of the trailer was primarily footage out of this episode one.
1: Well... Now, any any scene that had Moon Knight in it couldn't have been because we only got that one closing shot of Moon Knight. So, uh, you know, this all, is true. all those this Moon is true. Knight shots had to come from somewhere else. But, yeah, you're right. The pummeling of the uh, anubis slicken mm-hmm. dog at the end, yep. that mm-hmm. was definitely in the trailer. And by someone had mentioned they thought that was uh, Werewolf by night. And they thought that that was the character that was going to be made into uh, the show later. And sorry to say that was incorrect.
0: Glad I didn't have that in the pool. Okay. But I so enjoyed him blacking out as an action scene is beginning, and then coming right back, and all you saw <laughs> was the carnage afterwards, right. and and him just totally discombobulated, which then led to that rather spectacular car chase. That's got to be so fun as
1: a writer, because this uh. is the only time where you don't have to come up with a solution to anything you write for a good, you know, five minutes, where you go. All right, so uh, we've got 10 guys chasing them all with machine guns in three cars, and he's in a van. And uh, we have one jump in through the back door, and he comes up with a gun behind him. And then a van pulls up alongside of him, and they roll down the window, and a guy leans out with a shotgun there. And so we've got two guns pointed at our hero, and what happens? I don't know, Ted. Let's just say it cuts to black, and he wakes up, and everyone's dead, and he's okay. I like that. Three
0: martini <laughs> lunch. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, if we jump ahead now to the last 10 or, or so minutes of episode one, where Stephen has returned to London, wakes up in his bed, thinks it's a bad dream, but. Also discovers again in that kind of heartbreaking, but still really funny scene that he's lost two days of time mm-hmm. and then finds those clues within his own apartment that suggest something else is going on here. And then we're back at the museum and well, no, Not our-
1: quite, not quite. Okay. He finds the, uh, the bits of evidence, the, the cell phone and whatnot, and he talks to the mysterious female voice at the other end. And then we have a little bit of what what tries to be Marvel horror Mm
0: -hmm.
1: with the, uh, the moon god, I suppose, stalking him down the hallway in the elevator scene. Did that do oh, anything yeah. for you, Jim? Did that did that tickle uh, a tingly down your spine at all? Did it creep you out? Uh, did it work?
0: It did, but the one that I thought was that much more intriguing, I think, right after that, he wakes up on the bus going to work, and he looks out the window and sees it standing
1: there in the street, and then it disappears it, for a, a tenth of a second. And it's like, oh my god, it's real. Yeah, and there's that one scene where it was it was like standing right behind him. Well, I guess oh. that was in, in the elevator. in the elevator. elevator. And yeah. then he transitions to in the street. So you get that jump scare from... It's yeah. right behind you in the elevator, and then when you see it out in the street, you get that double creepy vibe scare out of that. So, okay, I'm glad it worked for you. I mean, no, I, I'm I mean, used to horror movies. I've been watching them a, a long, long time, so I was like, yeah, I can, I can see the creep factor, but I didn't necessarily, you know, curl up under my covers, per se. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, it was, it's a good effect, and uh, I think it helped build the vibe for the closing scene of there's something evil coming towards me and he needs to be fully terrified by this point. So that earlier hallway elevator scene kind of helps that character ratchet up the tension to that point to where he's terrified. And then we get a very good shot in the bathroom amongst our main character and some mirrors
0: Yes, yes. And in, in, in fact, I, that's a, a bit of stagecraft. I actually want to go back and watch this episode again to catch how they set up the shot. Because there's at least a couple of shots there where you see Oscar Isaac's character reflected multiple times mm-hmm. in the same set of mirrors. And then there's none about the one. Yeah. 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 And and this version of Oscar Isaac is talking to him and it's like, I can help. You have to let me take over.
1: Okay, now, have have you seen uh, Last Night in Soho, directed by Edgar Wright?
0: No, I have not, and Drew has talked that up endlessly. Oh,
1: and deservedly so, because it is genius, and should have mm-hmm. won an Oscar if there's any justice in this world. I don't know if it did or not, but uh, for, for this cinematography and special effects alone, because it is vibrant with the color. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because there are a dozen or more... Shots in that movie that rely on one actress being the the person and the other actress being the reflection in the mirror. And in the special features, Edgar explains the 35 different ways that you can pull off such a gag. And if you're interested in that bathroom scene, I would recommend seeking out Last Night in Soho just for the special features because the mirror gags and and the way that they uh plan ahead is you know in this shot it, it's um you you recreate the mirror image of the room that the actors are standing in, so it appears that there is a mirror there, but you're actually just shooting through a square hole in the wall and looking into another room that mimics the one that you're in, and then you place your other actor or actress. In that room and then have them mirror one another and voila you have your mirror effect. So I I believe that at least one time they may have had to have a double bathroom that Mm -hmm. mirrors actually a window and they can have him act in the other room and then have him act in the in the main room, the main bathroom and there you have your main character and his reflection or the other way is you just act it twice and, and you do it digitally, a uh, removal of you have them act one time to the mirror and you have them act another time not as the mirror and then you, you paste the two over And but then you've got the image of what, or the problem of all those infinity mirrors going back and forth and
0: duplicating his image on to infinity. It gets tricky after a while, Jim. It does, it does. And, but but it, it was an amazing set piece which, which ended with I think our first real look at Moon Knight in this project yeah. and and pummeling the crap out of whatever that supernatural creature was that was pursuing.
1: Now, there's the, the juxtaposition at the end of this episode, because we have a hallway horror fright scene. We have them go back to work. We have mysterious monster sounds. We have them. Running away, locking himself in a room, dumping stuff over to get in the way of the thing that's chasing him. And then his reflection says, I can handle this if you let me. And the thing busts through the door before the transformation can complete. And part of he says, oh, my goodness, he is in so much trouble. The monster okay. done got him. And then they come in with that shot coming up the hallway and like yeah. the sink goes flying out of the door, and you go, Oh, someone got hurt real bad with that. And then you mm-hmm. see the monster trying to escape and then get bragged back into the room for a proper ass kick. And you go, Oh, wait a minute. There is a table somewhere in this room, and it has been turned almost severely. <laughs> I thought that was really great. And then do it to watch Moon Knight. Yeah, just leaning over top of him and uh, giving him a, a good old Will Smithin'. I mean, uh, <laughs> oh by the way real quick I, I, I,
0: I applaud the reference okay, okay. <laughs> I, I just want okay. to
1: say uh, yep. about that incident yep. uh, do you know why Will Smith used an open hand oh. paper beats rock <laughs> All
0: right. anyway there we go there we go by the way Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson who are directing episodes two and four of Moon Knight uh, talked with comics book Dot com. They, they had come into this project after directing episodes of Loki, and they mentioned that what appealed to them about Loki and Moon Knight specifically is that both of these characters felt like outsiders, and uh, they felt that like that was something uh, that audiences could really relate to. But at the, the same time, what they really enjoyed about working on Moon Knight is that he's a character that almost nobody knows anything about yet. Mind you, that's soon to be changed, but the gloves are off and you can kind of do whatever you want with this character. So the dissociative identity disorder aspect of the, the show.
1: I don't know. should Should I feel guilty for enjoying that as entertainment? Like people suffer with that as a real thing and mm-hmm. I feel guilty that I'm entertained by it somehow. Is
0: that understandable? But at the same time, remember, the very scene that you zeroed in on from episode one, the, the one that the director felt was so crucial and fought so hard to keep in the show is both a comedy moment and a kind of a heartbreak moment. Cause again, he's, he's in over his head. You get to see what a miserable life he has that here he is, trying to figure out how to order a steak in a steakhouse. I'll have it good. Uh, I'll put you down for a medium <laughs> right. for well done. So the way it was cut, the way it was put together, I'm fully on board for the seeing how the mystery of Moonlight unfolds. It's like, I want to know who this woman was. He talked on the phone. Or what door that key opens. Right. I do want to give a quick
1: shout out to the music score as well, because when you're trying to create a flavor of a, of a, region of the mm. planet musical instrument choice is crucial in that and, and like the vocals in the in the singing it just had that feel that I don't, it makes it feel more authentic when you get the music right true and true. uh i think they got the music right and a lot of that like i said is is picking the right instrument for the task mm. and then and then scoring to that instrument and then voila you've got a the sound halfway there so i think they've done a really good
0: job with the sound as well one aspect, though, of the show, and remember, I think we talked about this earlier, going into Moon Knight, there was an awful lot of talk about, you know, people need to be ready. This is going to be darker and more violent than what we typically do at Marvel. So Disney can scrub it six months later while we're not looking. <laughs> what Aaron is referencing here is, is something that Caleb Steele at The Direct uh, reported on earlier this week. And evidently, Caleb, sir, was based on what an eagle-eye Reddit user, uh, Moomin Mumulin, noticed that Disney's gone back into Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And they're making discrete edits and changes to some of the more violent aspects of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. God forbid. I wonder
1: what they're going to do to Punisher now that that's there. But anyway, go ahead.
0: Here's two of the, the scenes that have been changed. There's the death of Hydra scientist Wilfred Nagel in episode three where once it was blood painted on Nagel's face and shirt, now there's nothing. Likewise, instead of Nagel's eyes remaining open, uh, confirming his death, they're now closed. In Another shot in the fight that's being held outside of Nagel's laboratory, remember it's in that sort of container ship area, there was a a scene where we got to see a goon get stabbed with a pipe that Mm -hmm. that went through her shoulder and pinned her against a container. Newer version of that scene, the pipe now bounces off the goon and goes flying. Scene right
1: after that had a uh, small child on a bicycle with an alien in a basket and a bunch of FBI agents
0: waving uh, walkie-talkies at him. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I guess what I don't understand is this is coming to light in the same window of time that here's Disney talking about after bringing all of those Netflix series, uh, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, uh, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, The Punisher, and The Defenders, over to Disney+, Plus and talking about, you know, we recognize that this stuff is violent, and we're going to put some parental controls in. You know, the whole talk about we're going in this darker, more violent direction with Moon Knight. What is the point of going in after the fact to fix Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which near as I can figure, the only thing... That people talked about in regard to the violence of that was, was at the end of what was the episode with, where Captain America effectively cuts the guy in half with his shield. Yeah, yeah. When he's in other. a blind rage, which that's a, even implied. That's not even shown.
1: No, but there there are a couple of schools of of thought on this. Well, first it's it's been done before already in the Marvel Disney Plus series, so to speak, mm-hmm. because it was uh, last year at some point there was a little blip of light that was floating down a mountainside in the very last shot of WandaVision and people were speculating what that could possibly be. And it turned out that in the last scene, when they get to the cabin where she's outside or or before she's outside, whatever, there's a reflection of light in the glass in the, in the door. And they didn't like the reflection of the light in the glass. They wanted to get rid of it. So they put a mask over it. But the problem was they forgot to take the mask out in the scene before that, so you had this little ball of blur kind of cruising down a mountain as this shot zoomed in. And and that explained why, what that was. It took people a, a little while to figure that out, but they actually... Um, It did a superimpose, like if you put that shot over top of the mountain of of where the glass and the reflection is and the the light in the door, that lines Mm -hmm. up with where that little ball of light slides down the mountain on the left-hand side of the screen. So, what they did was they said, well, that shot isn't totally perfect. It could be more perfect if we got rid of that little speck of light, and they screwed up in that process, and now they fixed it, and it's done. So, we know they've done it in the past. (laughs) It's not all that big of a surprise. And then to point even further back in history of is this okay, uh, George Lucas is pretty famous for saying that, uh, you know, movies are only put out when the director has to abandon it. You know, Mm -hmm. as far as he's concerned, he was never done with any of it. And he put out the special editions of Star Wars with new features and, and things that were changed and tweaked a little bit because he didn't want Han Solo to be the jerk. He made him shoot second, which is the dumbest choice. A human could have made in that circumstance. But anyway, we'll let that go, George. We'll talk about that later, I'm sure, when we meet face-to-face. No, he's never had to answer to anyone for that, I'm sure. Um, anyway, so yeah, I mean, it's it's been done in the past Of of... I think what I'm trying to point a more finer light on is the fact that this art is going to be eternal. This is something that... I mean, Jim, how old is Cinderella? How old is Snow White? They're still part of the Disney library. And they, granted, they haven't changed them much, but even the park rides they've had to change to get with the times, right? And so maybe if they thought, well, we know the guy's dead. Do we need to have blood on his face to show that he's dead? I don't think so. So let's get rid of the blood. What's it hurt, right?
0: All right it's so interesting you bring up Snow White because it, it turns out that you, you're right. Snow White actually got edited. It plays in Radio City in December thirty-seven. Eventually, the manager of of Radio City contacts Disney Studios and says, look, we're making money hand over fist. We love this movie. However, there is a scene in the film where we're having an issue. And it's like, well, what scene is this? It's the the evil queen. She goes into the dungeon. She takes the potion and she becomes the the, the ugly crone. And then she creates the sleeping death poison apple. Mm. But there's this 10 or 15 second long scene in the movie that is scaring kids so badly they're peeing on the seats. They're like, it means we can show fewer screenings each day because we have to check for the the wet the seats <laughs> the kids are peeing on. And so Disney actually okayed the radio city to cut this snippet where she's literally just over a boiling cauldron it was something about this particular mom in the movie that just tipped little kids right over the edge and made them pee Mm. and so they cut it out and it was one of these things where it was like the 50th or the 75th anniversary edition of snow white where somebody actually went into the vault and went oh Hey, the thing we cut out from Radio City that didn't then go into the print that went th- throughout the world for the next 50 or 60 years. And right. and Disney being Disney, it's like, we're going to put this in extra features because we don't want little kids peeing on people's couches at home. So they do make adjustments to Well, think to things,
1: about how much more you know. quickly we're able to send a message to a corporation. I mean, in, in the olden days, it took a movie theater You know, I don't know how many calls they made to the front desk of Walt Disney going, Can I talk to someone, please, about making an edit in the movie? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, Bob. Now you got Twitter and stuff like that where everybody that, you know, has a phone can shout at you digitally and go, Why? Why did you make this scene like that? And they can look after, you know three or four months of the show being out and go, okay, give me the top five complaints. What are they about? And then can we shut them up?
0: Don't you think there would have been something out there online about? No, God,
1: no. No, because that's just going to make people angry. You're going to get the people that, the originalists, the original Mm -hmm. Star Wars people that get off that Han Solo is now shooting second. You're going to have all those people complaining. Why are you doing it to appease a bunch of, you know, they're going to be angry moms protecting children who should not be watching this show to begin with. Why are you appeasing a crowd that shouldn't even be watching this? You know, I mean, mothers are upset about Punisher. Well, the kids should not be watching Punisher; they just shouldn't. So, don't even complain about it because it's not meant for them. If you're going to complain about something, complain about how the password isn't enough. I mean, like the day that the Punisher went up, I had to re-enter my password and confirm that I was an adult, and then they told me after that, you know, you can lock your account with a pin number just in case. And I don't have kids, so I don't care. But the thing is, they're trying. They made me log back in and go, you sure you're a grown-up? And mm-hmm. then after that, they went, you sure you don't want to lock this down just a little bit tighter? So they're doing what's required. Some people just okay. want to complain. And I think there's a lot of people that are upset that I used to be able to just let my kid run hog wild and click anything they wanted in Disney+, Plus and it was okay. Now mm-hmm. there's four shows i got to care about. And here's the thing, Jim. As I was flipping through Disney+, Plus not that long ago, there were... Two things side by side, and it was like something so stupid as Encanto next to Punisher. And I went, God forbid the person that clicks the wrong thing in this situation. <laughs> I mean, I know how Oof. I've got, I don't have my parental settings, so maybe it's split somewhere else. But if, if you are a parent and you haven't updated your settings and you're just letting your kid go wild and they want to click on Encanto and they swipe right just a little bit before they click it and they accidentally get Punisher, yeah, we're going to have angry letters going to Disney. But you know, my whole point is, if Disney goes, hey, we've scrubbed out all the blood from these scenes, you're going to have so many people angry because you're going to have the original people angry. Then you're going to have new people who didn't even know there was blood. What? There's blood in Disney shows? I want to boycott. Why, why didn't I know about this blood? Why didn't I get a newsletter? I have stock in this company. I'm ashamed of you
0: all this makes me think of is you ever see the Disney movie The Black Hole? Oh, I love The Black Hole. It's one of my favorite. (laughs) Yes, you've seen The Black Hole. You're doing the score. Okay. Do you remember how Anthony Perkins gets taken out in that film? It wasn't
1: Maximilian, was it? It was, was Maximilian it, okay. with the with know, the, uh, the spinny blades that spinny goes blades that go. And, yeah,
0: his notebook right into and, and Anthony Perkins, great actor, does a, an amazing job of his chest being pierced and you know internal organs being pureed.
1: I think we need to uh, applaud the real heroes of that movie, which are the very very thin cables that were still able to hang Ernest Borgnine in midair. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. I, 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 well, okay. Before we, before,
1: we, before we wrap up, two okay. two little news points. We were just talking about Disney Plus, and these are relatively new articles of information. Uh, okay. Amazon did get approved, and they and that deal did go through, so they do now own mm-hmm. the uh, was it M, was it MGM yeah that they got okay yeah so that that's been finalized so they can do mm-hmm. whatever bond stuff they've got the rights to etc cetera, et cetera. and whatever they've got mm-hmm. there in the library they can now make shows out of or, or do whatever and then mm-hmm. in uh, related news HBO Max is been rumbles that they're getting ready to merge their app with Discovery Plus because Discovery Plus by itself has been somewhat of a disappointment and not making a lot of money Mm-hmm. And so they think, well, if we take a, a thing that's doing poorly and put it on a thing that's doing not quite as poorly, mm-hmm. uh, maybe we can make one of them look better by comparison. And so, yeah, HBO Max, I mean, they, they did get a, a nice set of bumps throughout the summer when they had movies that were showing mm-hmm. up that, you know, were showing up day and date with theater releases Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people that just weren't comfortable going to theaters yet. So they would go and opt for the HBO Max. But as soon as they got to see that movie, they would let their subscription run out. And HBO knew that they were not in it for the long game like Netflix is, where you just let your subscription go for years without interruption. Mm-hmm. And so uh, right now they're looking to try and sweeten the pot and uh, adding Discovery Plus to as, a, as an option. They're, they haven't done it yet, but they're discussing it. And uh, really, Jim, when I look at the Disney Plus app and they've got the National Geographic tied to that, you Mm -hmm. know, to me that seems redundant. If I were to go to HBO for Discovery Plus when I've already got National Geographic on Disney Plus, it it doesn't sweeten any pot for me to jump over to HBO Max. What about you? Would that Uh, convince you, like, I really need to see That Nature Show or Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe from years ago? You
0: know, I, I, I have to admit there were those of us who go different places for for comfort television. I mean, for example, I have friends who swear by the the British baking show that, you know, they they, they love to put that on. I find myself these days watching a, a number of the animal planet, you know, behind the scenes at the zoo shows. It's just mm-hmm. sort of like, you know, to to watch people taking care of, of animals. In fact, I so enjoyed the Disney Plus series about Backstage at the Animal Kingdom that yep. Josh uh, Gad narrated. But it does, in theory, broaden the HBO Max appeal. But you're right. I mean, it just... I honestly worry, I, you know, I, I mean, every month here at the house, I, I see the bill come through for Peacock. I mm-hmm. see the bill come through for Paramount Plus. I see the bill come through for Disney Plus, for HBO Max. And, you know, I think a lot of us are sitting at home going, you know, do I really need all of these? And Well, I mean, the, the part of the discussion we had
1: back in the olden day was, well, we got to cut cable. You know, that yeah. was the only goal. Can I cut cable? And mm-hmm. as soon as you were getting ready to cut cable, first step is, how do I replace my cable, <laughs> right? How do I get access to the shows I want? And net, while Netflix was good, you didn't get local news. You didn't get, you know, your, your local ABC, NBC, CBS type of stations. Mm-hmm. And so then it was like, well, where do I get that stuff? Because I need that. And so, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, the interesting thing is when I watch Hulu on a, on a Fox station, it comes in with the local Fox 59 Indianapolis tag. On there, so I mean, they're they're pulling from our local source, and you get that that feel. It's, sometimes it's just about getting the feel right of ah, it's just like the antenna, or it's just like cable because I got the right flag in my corner. I'm not watching Miami Fox station or whatever. Yeah, and, and so. Um, the companies then, when you know, when we started cutting cable, and then we were looking for the replacements, and Netflix was leading the pack for because they had so much access to everything. And back then, Paramount didn't have Paramount Plus, HBO didn't have uh, online streaming anything. So, like everybody was going, "Hey, if you want to watch my movie, but you know, there's no blockbuster anymore. How am I going to get you to watch my movie? Well, let's go give it to Netflix because they got this thing worked out." And so everybody was getting all of their content from Netflix, and then everyone started looking at Netflix like, well, what if I just wanted to keep the money for myself? And then, you know, Paramount puts all their stuff in a pile and go, well, let's call it Paramount Plus and charge for it. The problem is, I don't think people think about Paramount as in a brand. Like, if you were to say name a Paramount movie, I can't. I I can't really think in terms of who owns this license outside of Lucasfilm owns... You know, Star Wars and Disney owns Marvel, which, you know, is our MCU. And after that, I don't care. <laughs> it's I all know, individual you know, that, stuff.
0: The, the The folks at Paramount are really, really leaning into, well, you know. Star I Trek. Mean, Star Trek in a heavy way.
1: But after that, what do they got? What's the thing that's, that's jumping out going, hey, look at me, look at me. I mean, that was the thing is it, they did Star Trek Discovery and it did well. And people paid for the service. And what did they do? They went, give us more Star Trek. Star Trek Discovery Season 2, 3, and 4. And we've got uh, Picard Season 2 going now. And I mean, it's just a matter of...
0: Strange worlds. Yeah. I mean, Disney
1: is so lucky to have all of those years of history of family-friendly content that was consistent. Like, if you knew it was a Disney movie... You knew I could have, I could let my kids watch it and everything would be okie dokie. And if you were to just put that like they did Disney Plus and they put that out and they met all of their expectations much quicker than they expected. And it's because of the content they have curated. And I think that's the problem that everyone's got right now is their content doesn't mean crap to most people, which is why Amazon's doing their billion-dollar Lord of the Rings thing because Lord of the Rings is recognizable as a name, but also MGM because I hope to God they're going to do something with a bond. They did really good with their Jack Ryan series, so I hope they can Mm. do more in that. But yeah, I mean, right now it's brand recognition and and they're struggling, man. Right now, Paramount only (laughs) means Star Trek and they can't figure out anything else.
0: Again, the sort of storytelling we're getting now for me is fascinating. You know, the, the notion that that much more leisurely plays, pace, you know, stories that breathe, but still have, you know, the production values and frankly, you know, the, the quality actors that you see in theatrical releases. So, but yeah, that, lots to talk about on on future shows. And speaking of which, we have a couple other podcasts here at the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. We have Disney Dish, which I do with Len Testa. Uh, likewise, I have uh, Fine Tuning, which I do with Drew Taylor. Uh, beyond that, Aaron, I was noticing you interacting with some Marvelous Disney fans on Twitter earlier this week. I think somebody was pointing out uh, was it a new trailer or what was it that. Uh, oh, no, they wanted can- to
1: uh, remind us that uh, Mark Spector's character, uh, Moon Knight, had been mentioned okay. on the Blade TV series, which is now defunct, uh, on the old Spike. I did not know that.
0: Oh, very yeah. Cool. So that's. Oh.
1: Uh, let me see here. That came from Stingray Travel. Oh, and, well, thank you, Stingray. And then um. uh, I also got notice uh, just today that uh, Ron Havens is coming to Indianapolis for the the Comic Con in uh, in about a month. He wants to meet the Mash crew. This is funny. Uh, I we named our Jeep. My wife and I named our Jeep Klinger. <laughs> After Jamie Farr's character for Mash, and uh, Jamie Farr will be in town, <laughs> and so uh, we we're going to have him come to the uh, TV station for uh, an interview, and I was going to have Sabrina have him sign the Jeep, so we I... could have official Jamie Farr Clinger Clinger Jeep. And uh, uh, but apparently he does to... he no he, he does not want to get up that early in the morning to drive to a TV station, so uh... he, he politely declined, and we have the opportunity to go see him at. Uh, At the Comic-Con. But anyway, Ron Havens was going to see the MASH folks, so I could stand in line. I told Ron, I said, if we end up going, I'll stand in line with you. We'll hang out while we go wait to meet Jamie Farr and uh, Hot Lips Hoolahan.
0: Very cool. Okay. Well, now, speaking of you, where can folks find you on social media if they they want to interact? Oh, well, if you would like
1: to uh, find out what Marvel ended up posting online five minutes after we got done recording tonight. All you got to do is follow me on Twitter at AzaProd. And uh, yeah, you can find all the the things we didn't talk about because
0: Marvel waits till we're done talking before they release new news. By the way, we also have a a social media presence. Uh, You can find us at Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media and on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. And that is going to do it for this week, folks. Uh, Aaron and I will be back next week. After we eyeball episode two of Moon Knight, which I can't wait to see where this goes. But thanks for listening, and we will be back soon.